Morning, everybody. Morning, Morning Grace Live. Uh, this series has been kind of uh, enlightening to me. We're going to look at some slides to see if we, how much we have learned in this whole process. I'm going to we have a question on the screen here, and let's see if you can guess what color would react this way. So the first question is this. You grab a quick dinner at the drive-thru, only find out once you're home that they messed up your order, and you think, over here all the way to the left, oh, I've been meaning to try this new burger. Happy accident. What color would it respond that way? Yellow, yellow, and the answer is, Mr. Ward, yellow. All right, why can't they get this simple order right? Red. Very right. It's tie, it's fine. I'm not picky. Green. And then, of course, you know what this is? Our favorite blues. Blues. Figures. All right, he went on. He didn't, he didn't care about the blue. He didn't care. He went on. You've been invited to a wedding. Your first thought is dancing, buffet, and small talk. No thanks. Answer is blue. I wonder if any of our friends, old friends, will be there. Yellow. Yellow. You guys are doing great. Sure. If you want to go, I'll go with you. Green. Green. And then, of course, there are 101 things I'd rather do than go to this wedding. You got it. You can't only be one. On a conference call, you put the phone on mute and let everyone else do the talking. Are you right? You're right. It was kind of weak the way you just said that. All right. Uh, you take the lead, hoping you'll get through the agenda faster. Okay. Let's hear it for the Reds. Suggest a Skype call instead. It's so much better when you can see everyone's face. All right. And then lastly, criticize others' comments in your head, but you say nothing. God bless the blues. All right. Let's go to the last one. The best boss would be? They would step in and offer to help you when you're overwhelmed. Oh, man. Oh, it's a tough one. What's the answer, Mr. Ward? Blue. Some of you said it, but you didn't say it with a lot of confidence. uh, The boss would include you in important conversations and meetings. Oh, you're all over the place. What's the answer, Mr. Ward? Yellow. All right. Be quick to point out your unique contributions to the team. Now, that's... Red. Process of elimination. Ask for your thoughts and opinions. Green. Very, very good. Okay. I uh, hope this series uh, has been fun for you. This is the grand finale of the series. Tonight, our young professionals group, Horizon Group, 20s and 30s. If you're in your 20s and 30s, in your bulletin, you can see this announcement tonight. Six o'clock at our Boston space. We're going to have some fun. We're going to talk about it. They're going to allow me to come. I'm going to show up. We're going to do a Q&A about this and whatever questions you have, totally wide open. So tonight, six o'clock, young professionals, 20s and 30s. If you're past 30 and you look young, you might be able to sneak in. All right. Here we go. Um, We can speak. What have we been saying? We can speak wise words. We can speak apt words. We can speak fitting words. Fitting, fitting. Fit the person, fit the moment. That's what the Bible says. Our words can actually fit the person, fit the moment. We can speak the right word at the right time. We started with Ephesians 4.29. Let's read it now. This is what it says. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. The word unwholesome is the same word that is used for rotten fish or rotten fruit. So there's a connection with food here, words and food. Don't let rotten words 
like rotten food come out of your mouth. They're going to make people sick. They're going to make you sick, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. In other words, according to their color, according to their temperaments. You can learn to do this on the video of your app. If you're following the videos like I am on the nice app, there's some great videos on there. What um, Kathleen says this past week, right, was that this is not something we do, but someone we become. I thought that was a really good way to say it. It's someone we become, and we can learn to speak a new language. Nobody spoke like Jesus. Jesus spoke all four colors. He spoke all four languages. We can learn to be that someone too. We can do it as well. So here's the one fill in for the day. If you change your words, you're going to change lives, plain and simple. If you change your words, you will change people's lives. You'll change your own life by the words you speak and you'll change the lives of other people. Two weeks ago, I had the opportunity to go to Covenant House. Covenant House uh, is a ministry that began in New York City, uh, I think in the 70s it began, and they have a number of houses here in Washington, D.C. So I had an opportunity to go over there and to meet some of the people who direct the uh, organization over there, and they told a story. There was a teenager, homeless, and this homeless teenager come up, came up to one of the directors and said, hey, why do you treat me so nice? Why do you believe in me? Because, and here it comes, my entire life, everybody that I've ever known has only said one thing about me. You're stupid. You're stupid. So why do you think that I can do anything in life? And this person began to say, because I believe in you and you're not stupid. And then Covenant House has some very practical things that they follow, some very good steps at how to progress in your life. And they began to explain that and they explained it to us. Today, that teenager that was homeless, that everybody said is stupid, is in college and is on the dean's list. So I want to say this. Your words, right time, right place, right word, right moment, wise word, apt word, fitting word, can change your life and it can change the lives of other people. Your words are powerful. They are very much powerful. Now, in order for us to speak the very words of God, First Peter chapter 4 says, when you speak, speak the very words of God. In order for us to do that, we have to start with this. And we talked about this at the beginning. You've got to be hungry to learn. You've got to actually want to learn. And we talked about the Old Town Road, you know, that song that became so famous this past Past summer and the chorus to it says you can't teach me nothing you can't teach me nothing well you you have to you, you gotta be wanting to learn you gotta be a sponge for knowledge that's what wisdom does in the book of proverbs it has a desire to learn so i'd like to show you a study that was done back in 1990 they took 150 people they had 150 people that were tappers they tapped out a tune like happy birthday to you and they had 150 people that were listeners and they brought them in two by two you got one tapper one listener and you had to communicate happy birthday to you star spangled banner you had to tap it out, <laughs> right? And they asked the people who were doing the tapping, the communicating, what percentage of people who are doing the listening are going to understand what you're communicating? And they said, wow, 50%, one out of two. One out of two will understand this very familiar, I'm going to tap it out, boom, 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 right? 50%. Actually, only 2% of the people understood. Uh, yeah, 2%, 2%. So instead of it being one out of two understood the communication, it was one out of 40. One out of every 40 times what was so obvious to the communicator one out of 42% was being understood. That was a big shock. So then they asked the tappers, the communicator in this, they said, what does that tell you about the listeners? And here was the resounding response. They said, they're stupid. 
They're stupid. They're stupid. That's why they didn't understand. So I don't need to change my communication style. You just need to up your IQ level. That is the problem. So that seems to be our default. When we have a communication problem with somebody, what the research shows is instead of saying, you know what, I need to, I need to do something new with my community. I need to learn a new way to communicate. I need to learn people. Instead, we just default and we say, well, People who are listening are stupid. I've got it right. So this is what this whole series has been about. How can we improve? How can we be hungry to learn? And as Proverbs says, move on the path towards wisdom and off that old town road. Okay? Now we're going to go back to our famous theologian that we talked about last week, Bruce Springsteen. Okay? Everybody has a hungry heart. How does that song go? I got a wife and kids in Baltimore. Let's do it again. You can type it in Grace Live. Ready? Let's say it like we mean it. I got a wife and kids in Baltimore. Wow, that was still weak. Okay. You're still upset about the Nats, huh? Okay. Got a wife and kids in Baltimore. Jack, I went out for a ride and I never came back. Now, what's being said here is there's a hungry heart. There's a restless heart. And actually, the Bible is filled with that. It says that we are restless wanderers. Restless wanderers. The book of Ecclesiastes is a lot about that, that there's a restlessness to us. Noah Harari, who wrote the best-selling book, Homo Sapiens, and then he wrote the best-selling book, Homo Deus, basically says the one thing we learn about humanity from the history of time is we have a hunger. We have a restlessness. It's never enough. We always want more. No matter how much we have, we want more. Why is that? Now, Bruce Springsteen. Our theologian says the same thing. Where's that hunger coming from? And it is true that all of humanity, male and female, have a hunger in their hearts. There, there are some unique hungers to men. There's some unique hungers to men. And I think that that is actually what's being written about in Bruce Springsteen's song. So I want to say this now. I have these cards, right? I have a whole stack of them. And it's in your bulletin if you want to check this out as well. I'm starting a group. Pastor Matt, Pastor Derek are going to join me in this. It's just for guys. It's called Kingdom Man. Tony Evans, who I think is the longest NBA chaplain in the NBA, Dallas Mavericks. He used to be the Dallas Cowboys chaplain. Thank goodness he saw the light and left the Dallas Cowboys. So he's with the Mavericks. He's with the Mavericks. And he does a video teaching. It was excellent. A bunch of guys and I went through it this past uh, summer. It was awesome. I want to invite all the guys to come out to this. If you're interested in coming, I got a card for you. See me after the service. Starts November 6th. Information is in the bulletin. But this card basically tells you everything that you need to know about that. Kingdom man. Now, Jesus in Matthew chapter 4 says something that we have talked about before. He equates food, physical food, with a hunger that we have for words. This is what he says in Matthew 4, 4. People do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So Jesus is saying we have a food hunger and we have a word hunger. And our word hunger actually is more important than our food hunger. That's hard to believe. When, listen, when you're hungry, the only thing you can think about is eating, right? Am I right? Right? The only thing you think about is eating. You want to eat. And Jesus is saying, we have a tremendous word hunger. We need to hear some things. Very important that we do. Now, as you read through the scriptures, you'll see that Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Jesus' best friend, John, when he wrote the book of Revelation, it says that they actually ate the Bible. They ate it. They feasted on the Bible. Now, it's a metaphor. They weren't actually chomping down on the paper. They didn't open up a scroll and say, let me just go to town on this. It's a metaphor. Because it's saying God's word are, is food that will fill our lives because we have a deep hunger in our hearts, like Bruce Springsteen said. We have a deep hunger in our lives, and we need to hear the word of God. 
And that is the only thing that will satisfy us. Matter of fact, it'll satisfy us more than physical food will satisfy us. What does that mean? What is it that God is speaking here that's going to satisfy that hungry, restless, wandering heart that has existed for all humanity? To give us that satisfaction and that filling that we so desperately need. Psalm 119 verse 103 says this, How sweet are your words to my taste. God's word is food and we have a word hunger. Billboard right now, I just saw this email this past week. Billboard's record has been broken this past week. Lauren Daigle's song, You Say, has been number one for 62 weeks. Why is that song resonating so much? Not just within the church world, even outside the church world, that song is having a deep resonation, right? With people like, yes, something about that song is awesome. I want to read you some of the lyrics. We have a word hunger. This is what you you say says. I keep fighting voices in my mind that say I'm not enough. You have those voices in your mind that say that? You say, speaking of God, you say, God, I am loved when I can't feel a thing. You say, God, I am strong when I think I am weak. And the song just continues on in that same vein. What is it that we need to hear from God? What are those words that we need that we're so desperate for that fill up that hunger even more than food? It's really important. And you'll see this theme all throughout the word of God. We are hungry for the very words of God. What happens when that word hunger is not met and we feel like we're starving? I want to go over some needs that we have according to colors. Each color has a need. And when those needs aren't being met, these aren't wants, these are needs according to our unique wiring. And when they're not being met, we have a potential. I'm not saying we're going to do this, but we have a potential to lapse into this. This has been very well studied, and it's a book called Wired That Way, which I have talked about before. It's a companion book to this series. All right, let's look at the emotional wellness checklist for those who are red, color red, red. If that need is not being met, you might begin to overstep your boundaries. You might begin to usurp authority. You might begin to argue every point. You might begin to think that you're never wrong. You might begin to say, I need credit for everything I do and have fits of rage. This is something that begins to happen when a red is starving, starving. How about yellows? Yellows might begin to talk excessively or compulsively. They might use sex as a replacement for affection. They might begin to overextend their lives into too many activities. They might begin to eat sweets, especially sweets, I mean, in order to medicate the pain of their starving. Greens. Greens might be given to compulsive lying. They might check out, lights on, nobody home. Physical illness or pain. They become passive, easily bullied or abused. Blues. Blues might be given to obsessive worry or fear. They become overly sensitive. They become reclusive. Eating disorders such as anorexia or bulimia. These are the four different temperaments and some things that they might do if they begin to starve. Now, a key habit here, which we've been talking about, 1 Peter 4.11, when you speak, speak as if you're speaking the very words of God. How do you do that? Well, how in the world can I begin to do that? There's a key habit here that we can do in order to do that. There's key habits in life. Just like we talked about a few weeks ago, uh, married people, right? If you're married, there are so many things that you can do, so many habits to having a wonderful marriage, right? A marriage that leads you towards happiness instead of heartache, joy instead of sorrow. There's so many things you could do, but there's one thing that's above all the rest, 
Very well studied. And what is that? It's when you're in a disagreement, and I know that doesn't happen often, but when you're in a disagreement, large or small, the way you communicate to each other in those few moments of disagreement is the key habit that will head you towards happiness and bliss or towards just destruction and sorrow. If you want to put your energy anywhere, put it in those few moments to have a great marriage. Now, what do you do, to, what do, you do in order to have this key habit of beginning to speak the very words of God? You emerge yourself in the words of God. This is what I want to talk about this morning because this is the key habit. We've talked about so many things, but here's the key habit that if you want to build people up and not tear them down, if you want to speak the very words of God, if you want to see your own life and the lives of other people filled up and satisfied and not hungry and not hurting and not being a restless wanderer, moving towards fulfillment and satisfaction, you need to immerse yourself in the word of God. Immerse yourself. Just like we have schools that we call them immersion schools for whatever language it might be. Right. We immerse somebody in that language. That's all they hear. I talked to somebody one time. They told me they learned to speak Spanish in six weeks. How in the world did you do it? They went down to Guatemala. They stayed in a home. And in that home, the only thing they heard was Spanish. And the only thing they were taught all day for eight hours a day, five days a week, was Spanish. And they said the end of those six weeks, they were so thoroughly in Spanish, they didn't do any English. At the end of that, they began to dream in Spanish. And that's when they knew they finally had it. Have you ever thought about immersing yourself in the Bible, in God's Word, so much that you begin to dream scriptures? Could that be possible? Yeah, actually, the psalmist says it. The psalmist in the Bible says that even through the middle of the night, your word is there. It's just churning in me. That's how you know that you've immersed yourself in it. Immerse yourself in the Word of God to that degree. We're told that we can hide God's word in our hearts. What does that mean? That means I have immersed myself. We said the heart is the control center of your life. I've immersed my very being in the great understanding of what God's word is about. Hide God's word in your heart so that you would not sin. What happened to that teenager at the covenant house I was telling you about a few minutes ago? That was a sin against them. Everybody's saying, you're stupid, you're stupid, you're stupid. If the people around that teenager had hidden God's word and had an understanding of God's word in their heart, they would have never spoke those sinful words to that teenager that had such a destructive, destructive impact on their life. But thank goodness, people came along, along that spoke different words. Now, we can do that if we immerse ourselves in the very Word of God. Words like food. You, your food, you like to season it, right? You put some seasoning on it, changes the flavor. Have you ever noticed that people who live in Boston talk different than people who live in North Carolina, y'all? You ever notice that? It changes the flavor. What are you immersing yourself in? You have to immerse yourself in God's Word. We've been talking about Psalm 19:14 a lot. Matter of fact, at the end of every one of these messages, we proclaim it together. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Here's two things you need to know. In Hebrew, there are two words for meditation, and this is really important. One means to ponder. In other words, to dwell, to immerse yourself in, to think, think, think deeply. We have to think deeply. How do you immerse yourself in God's Word? One of the ways you immerse yourself in God's Word, everybody, is you begin to really think deeply about what it means. In other words, you're not a robot just reciting scriptures. Hey, what about this? Oh, 1 John 3, 4 says this. What about this? Well, Genesis 3, 3 says this. You don't become a robot robotically spitting out scriptures. You have actually thought very deeply about what the scriptures mean. You've gained a deeper understanding of the meaning of scriptures. It's really important to do that. What does Jesus mean when he says, I am the light of the world? Right? 
it means something in its Hebrew context. And you've thought about it. One of the ways we love God is we love God with our minds. And so the reason we come here every week or we get together in groups is we want to come to a deeper understanding of what the Scripture is saying. You have to go below the surface to a much deeper level to dwell, to ponder, to meditate on God's Word. And then all of a sudden it begins to make practical sense. Like, yes, I got it. This is what we have to focus on. Now, at the beginning of 2020, 2020, what a great year. We're all going to see clearly in 2020. It's just going to all become clear. We're going to start a series on John's biography of the life of Jesus. And when we have a better understanding of who Jesus is and we go deep, like, ah, look, it is written in a Hebrew context. You and I aren't just going to get it. We're just not going to pick up the Bible and understand the deeper meanings. We're going to have to understand a Hebrew context, and then all of a sudden it's going to begin to make sense. Because too often we spit out scriptures, or we spit out formulas, or we, we think something means something, and then all of a sudden we realize, oh my gosh, that's not what it meant in that context. So if you'll forgive me, today we're not going to go deep in that. I just want to kick the ball down the hill and say that it's coming. We're going to go deep into this and have a greater understanding what it means to dwell in God's Word. But for today, I would encourage you, read the Bible, come here, study, get in a community group, discuss it, think about it, ponder it deeply. What is it saying? What is it saying? The second word for meditation means to mutter, means to speak. So first you think, think, think deeply. What is this really saying? What actually is it saying here? And the second word means to speak it out. Joshua 1.8. This is what was said to Joshua at the beginning of this book about Joshua. This book of the law, the Bible, shall not depart out of your mouth, but you shall meditate, you shall mutter it, you shall speak on it day and night, that you may observe and do according to all that is written in it. For then you shall make your way prosperous. Then you shall deal wisely and have good success. You can speak a brand new language. Once it gets down deep in your soul, what is this Bible really saying? And some of you are saying, hey, John, listen, I know people. They know the Bible front and back. And the words that come out of their mouth, they're unwholesome. They're rotten. It's like rotten fish. You ever been around somebody who's got really bad breath? Okay. Have you been around somebody who's got really bad breath because they've been chewing on the word and they've misunderstood it? And it's rotten. There is a way for us to dwell so deeply and understand what is being said here so deeply that what comes out of our mouths, the very words of God, 1 Peter 4.11. We can do that. Now, one of the things I want to point out today, the only thing I actually I want to point out today is this. This is so important. We're going, to get in, we're going to get into the Gospel of John in 2020, and we're going to go deep, and we're going to have a better understanding. I mean, we're told in the beginning of John that Jesus Christ was, the, of all things, it says, he was the Word. We're also told that Jesus was the final Word. It's like when you're discussing the Bible, you get a group of people together, and you're discussing, you're, you're discussing let's say you're discussing any book, any book, right? Any, you're in a book club discussing any book. Well, I think this person meant this when they wrote I think they meant this. And then all of a sudden, the author shows up, and he says, you know what? I want to tell you what I meant. Different story. That is what John says Jesus does. The author shows up and says, let me tell you what I meant by all that, and that's the gospel of John. So we're going to go deep. For today, I want to say this. We have a habit as human beings of losing sight of what is the most obvious. It's true. There are some things that are super clear in the Bible, and yet we get caught in all these little tangents. We go down all these little side roads that really don't... And we get so far away from the fundamentals. This happens. Vince Lombardi, 
great coach. Green Bay Packers, great coach. He stood up in front of his team one day. He held up a football and he said, gentlemen, this is a what? This is a football. Gentlemen, he said that to a group of NFL players that have been playing football their entire lives. Why? Because we have a strong tendency of getting away from the basics, the foundational things. We do that as organizations. We do that as sports teams. And we do that as individuals. I do that. I do that. I study the Bible and I want to get into all these little areas and then I begin to lose sight of what is the base. So I want to talk about what is basic, what is foundational that we see in the scriptures right off, right from the beginning, creation. There are so many creation stories out there. And I said this before, when I was in seminary, my professor said, hey, the creation story in Genesis is the same as all the other creation stories. And so then I said, well, maybe I should read them. And what I saw was something completely different. All the creation stories I read So all the other creation stories are about gods, right? And there was a violent struggle, and one god beat all these other gods. And then out of the defeated gods, the gods got defeated. You know, the winning god cut up the losing god, body parts, bloods all over the place, and then he created you out of all those body parts. Doesn't that make you feel good? Or, or, Or the gods vomited you up and created all creation. That sounds just like Genesis. Vomited you up. So that all of us could be slave to the gods. Now, here's what Genesis tells us. There wasn't a struggle. That God, out of love, created you. Not to be his slave, but to be loved by God. And that God comes and he seeks you. That the Bible is not a book about us seeking God, but about God seeking us. And you see that all throughout the scriptures. Jesus came to seek. God is there in the garden, Genesis chapters 1 and 2 and 3. He's there in the garden. He's walking amongst them, right? And then he gives them one command. Don't do this. Now, all the gods, if you defied the gods, what would happen if you defied the gods? What do you think would happen if you defied the gods and you did something they told you not to do, right? They're angry. They're petty. They're frustrated. They would light you up. And so God, in the book of Genesis, says, stay away from the tree. Do anything you want. There's one thing. Stay away from the tree. And now they make a huge mistake and there's deep shame. They feel the deep shame. And God, instead of exposing that deep shame, instead of shining a spotlight on their mistake and their deep shame, what you see is God comes along. He lovingly covers that shame. Isn't that amazing? Has that ever happened to you? Have you ever made a bad mistake and somebody came along and they exposed it? They shined a spotlight on it and they humiliated you? Have you ever made a bad mistake and somebody came and quickly covered that shame? They didn't want you to feel that way. That's God. That's God. This is, these are the important things that we learn about God. God loves you. God forgives you. John 3.16, most well-known verse in the entire Bible. For God so loved. For God so loved that he gave. What do we learn from that verse? We learn that God loves much. He loves you much. Very basic. And that God gives much. Loves much, he gives much. Now, as we begin to understand the basic foundational, fundamental building blocks of who God is, we can begin to speak the very words of God. If you'll filter that through everything you do, can't you see how you would not say to that teenager, you're stupid? Doesn't that just begin to make sense? When you understand who God is, doesn't it change the way you speak your very words? That is what it means to be immersed in God's word. When you want to speak words that will tear somebody down because you're just impatient, you're frustrated, all of us have different colors, we all have different triggers, and you also want to lash out because you've immersed yourself in God's Word. You've understood how God responds, how God responds to something. That's what you're looking for in the Bible, how God responds. I want to learn about God, and then you begin to respond that way. It'll change your very words. It'll change the flavor of your very words. That's why it's just totally awesome. 
This is a key habit, to immerse ourselves in the very Word of God. I want to end with telling you a story. And um, it's a sad story. It's a really, it's a really sad story, but it has a big-time happy ending, okay? Big-time happy ending. So uh, we got to go all the way back to the book of Genesis. The story I want to tell you is a story about Ruth. Ruth was a Moabitess. Ruth's mother-in-law's name was Naomi. And um, Naomi and her husband moved out of Israel, and they went to the land of Moab, which they should not have done because there was a famine in the land. And when they were there, Naomi's son married Ruth, a Moabitess. And the son died and the husband died. And so Naomi and her daughter-in-law, Ruth, and her other daughter-in-law, Orpah, are heading back to Israel. And Naomi looks at her two daughters-in-law and says, hey, look, I'm not going to have any other sons anytime soon. So you guys might might as well go back to your country. And Orpah goes back, but Ruth says, no, no, I'm going to stick with you. Your God's going to be my God. So she saw something in the God of the Bible, clearly. I'm going I'm to I'm stick with you. Now, what does it mean to be a Moabitess? Well, this is where the story gets really sad, okay? So Lot, Lot, who is the nephew of Abraham, decided to live in a town called Sodom and Gomorrah. And one day, Lot had a couple visitors come to his house. And the men of the city started pounding on the doors because they wanted, they wanted Lot to send out these two visitors. And Lot steps outside of the door and he says, no, 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 don't, don't do this. Listen, I have two young virgin daughters inside, two of my daughters. I will send them out, and you guys can abuse them in any way that you wanted to. Now, I don't know what that did to the two daughters, but I'm figuring it messed them up pretty badly. I'm just thinking. I think you probably think the same thing. Do anything you want, my daughters. Cast them out. And people say no, and then these two visitors come out, and they... It's a big story, but they strike them blind. They can't see, and the visitors say, hey, look, you've got to get out of this town. And so they go get out of this town. Along the way, Lot's wife dies, right? And so Lot, out of fear, he ends up living in a cave with his two daughters. His two daughters, which he has just treated like trash, right, from what he said. So he's there, and here's where it gets super sad. Um, the older daughter says to the younger daughter, look, let's get, let's get dad drunk. And uh, let's preserve our family line. Let's have kids. Now, having kids in the Bible was a really, really big deal, okay? Having a child was your social security, right? If you were, uh, if you were a woman, you, wanted, you desperately needed to get married, okay? Because all of your rights came through your husband, and you had to have a bunch of kids because that's your 401k plan. Does that make sense? That is it. That's all you got back then. So you've got to have social security and 401k, and that you've got to have kids to do that. And so they say, let's get dad drunk. And... Um, and then uh, older daughter, I'll go in with him tonight and uh, have sex with him. And then uh, tomorrow night you do the same. So the older daughter, they get him drunk. They go in to Lot. The older daughter does. She becomes pregnant. And she says, hey, that worked out great. And so the younger sister goes in the next night. And so out of the older daughter, you get the Moabites. And the younger, you get the Ammonites. Right? And the Moabites, this is stick with the Moabites for a second, out of this incestuous relationship, which is horrific, everybody which is horrific. It's devastating. It devastates families. It devastates families for generations and generations and generations. The Moabites were known for incest. This is what they practiced. It was regular practice of the Moabites. It's why God was against the practices of the Moabites. So clear in scripture because this is so destructive, terribly destructive, right? And so God wanted to see that stop. Now, Ruth is a Moabite. Ruth comes back to Israel from being in her country of Moab. She comes back to Israel. What do you think they're all talking about this town? Oh, the Moabites here. That cloud hung over her head like you would not believe. 
Have, have you ever experienced what it's like to be saddled with a personal history or a family history? You know what that's like? To be saddled with a personal history or a family history? Do you know what it's like, you know, to grow up in a home or out in the neighborhood or to family gathering? You're just going to be just like, it's just a matter of time. It's just a matter of time. You're going to be just like, you'll be just like. Whatever that is, a habit, an addiction, whatever it might be. You know what the pain of that being saddled with that history? It's a family history in, in my life. And I know people say, oh, just a matter of time. Just a matter of time, Johnny. You'll be just like. That's devastating. And here's what Ruth is dealing with. She's dealing with that pain. This is where she comes from. So her mother-in-law says to her, because Ruth has been gleaning in a field of Boaz, and Boaz is a good man. In this, in this story, he's seen as what's called the kinsman redeemer. He's seen the, as the redeemer, the redeemer of role, right? And we've said this many times. God is a redeemer, not a destroyer. And so Naomi says, look, um, Ruth, we've got to get you married. We've got to get you a 401k program. We've got to get you some Social Security. We've got to marry you off to somebody who's going to take care of you so you can have kids. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go down to the threshing floor. And after Boaz has had a lot to drink, he's drunk. Remember, Lot was drunk. I want you to go to the threshing floor. After Boaz has had a lot to drink, he's going to go off somewhere by himself and lay down. And you sneak in there. Don't let anybody see you. And you go in there and you lie down next to him. Now, everybody, I need to tell you something because you're probably not aware of this unless you're a student of the Bible. But everything about this whole situation in Hebrew is filled with seduction. It's filled with sensuality. The threshing floor, it was a very seductive place. Prostitutes would show up there. there was a, it, was, it, was, it was like an orgy, okay? All right. So what Naomi is saying to her daughter-in-law is go in, and after Boaz gets drunk, I want you to lay down and sleep next to him. And then she said some other things, which I'm going to let go for right now, okay? I'm just not going to tell you about them. You can read the story. It's only four chapters long, but there's a lot of innuendo there, a lot of innuendo. And the story just, oh, my, you can't miss it. If you know Hebrew, then you can't miss it. That the connection between Lot and his daughters and Lot being drunk and the incest and all that and the seduction and that cloud hanging over. This is the way the Moabite women act, right? And what Ruth goes to do. And I got to tell you, for years, I never understood this one bit. I'm like, this is disgusting. This is terrible. How could you send her in to do this? This is terrible. So anyway, she goes in. And if you're reading this story, right, it's just so much spilled with so much tension. It's like, oh, my gosh. What's Boaz going to do when he wakes up and there she is right at his feet and he's drunk and the whole scene, what's he going to do? So if you're Hebrew and you're reading this story and you're thinking about the Moabites and all this, what's going to happen? What are the words going to come out of his mouth? Of course the words are going to come out. Get away from me, you scum of the earth. So he wakes up. He's startled. He's like, who is that? Who is that there at my feet? And she says, it's Ruth. He's like, Ruth. Ruth. The whole town knows you're a woman of noble character. Oh, excuse me? Do you all know what noble character is? Have you read ever read Proverbs 31, the, the wife of noble character? I think noble character is the greatest, most godly woman possible. The whole town. Those were the words she needed. It changes the entire trajectory of her life. Boaz speaks the very words of God to her. He is in this story, the kinsman redeemer, redeeming all the junk of the past. God wants to redeem all of your junk. That's why that Lauren Daigle song is so important. My mind is saying all kinds of stuff, but God is speaking. Changes her whole life. 
all of that history saddled down. Everybody, there she is, the Moabite. And he speaks the word of God and it changes her life. She becomes the great grandmother of King David, the most famous king of all of Israel. And you can read about her in Matthew chapter 1 because she is in the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That, my friends, is absolutely amazing. And I want to say this in conclusion. This, if you want to, what's Grace Community Church all about? This is what we're all about. We want to dig into God's word so that we can speak God's word so we can see life. I am totally addicted to hearing stories about people's lives being changed by hearing the word of God because it's fantastic. Today, we're talking about team signups to get on a team. Why in the world would you join a team? I'll tell you why. The more people that join the team, the bigger and better it can be because we amplify the voice of God. Just like these speakers with all these parts amplify my voice, we amplify the voice of God. I can't tell you how many people. We have people come here all the time. I've, just, I've read recently a couple stories of people who are atheists that come to grace because they hear we're a church for people who don't go to church. And they're giving God how many shots? How many shots are they going to give God? One. And where do they sit? Last row. Not pointing out you guys. Last row. <laughs> the very end seat so they can run out quickly. Right? Right? That's why all the church people should not sit on the back row on the end seats because the people who are scared to death and giving God one shot, that's where they want to sit so they can run the heck out of here. But we're signing up for all kinds of teams, right? From setup to breakdown, every team makes a difference. And I've said this for years, the sermon starts in the parking lot because I can tell you that we have people who said, I will never go to church. And then one day they showed up here and somebody in the parking lot, a parking team member said, good morning. And they're like, okay, I'll give this a shot. And their lives have been turned around because they've come here and they've heard the words of God. They've heard about a God who loves you so much. Our AVL team that does everything in this room, so important. Because we have hundreds and hundreds of people, believe this or not, we have hundreds and hundreds of people every single week all around the world that watch. And what fires us up is amplifying the very words of God. That's why we're fired up. That's what we live for. So we're going to play you a video here in just a second. It's going to... Tell you all kinds of cool ways you know, that you can get involved. But before we do that, I'd like us to end the way we end every sermon. Psalm 1914. Will you proclaim it with me together, please? Ready? Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer.